Welcome, Switched On crew. Dan here with today's signals around how to practice continuous improvement. With me is Rick from CI for Life, a podcaster, author, and more. A great quote from Rick in the episode, the idea was work smart and work hard, and I was working hard, and I couldn't work harder. Come join us and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Switched On Podcast. Today, we have Rick Highland with us. Rick is president of CI for Life and is the author of Live Your Purpose. Welcome, Rick. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Can you tell hey. us a bit more about your background beyond the intro? Hey, Dan. Thanks for the warm welcome. It's great to be on Switched On. And yeah, I'll give a little bit of background before we dive in. I'm, uh, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. My wife and I, Cheryl, have uh, six kids and 15 grandkids. Well, actually, the 15th is due tomorrow. <laughs> and, and so uh, I'm already counting uh, that as number 15. And uh, originally born in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. I did my education, my undergrad there and my MBA there. And then we moved to the U.S. about 22, 23 years ago. I was uh, president, uh, CEO of U.S. operations, North America operations for a consulting company called RLG International for 31 years. A year and a half ago, I retired, started a, uh, as you've said, a, a continuous improvement for life, CI for life, personal coaching, productivity improvement company. I've been having a blast, traveling a lot less, a lot less stress. And, um, and as you mentioned, just wrote a book. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's great. The, uh, the retirement is active so far. Yeah, yeah. There's no... There's no such thing as retirement. I think you and I <laughs> talked about that, right? There's, uh, there's just move on to a different uh, focus. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And it's really uh, fantastic to be meeting so many amazing people through these podcasts. I'm uh, really enjoying it myself. Good. So, you know, maybe give us a little um, background on the why of CI for Life. Um, you know, why'd you create it? And what's the desired outcome for people as they as they dive in with you um, in that? Well, I think the why is really clear in my head, and that is I had such a fantastic experience through my MBA program and through my 31 years of management consulting in the spirit and living and practicing continuous improvement. And I was doing it traveling a lot, and I was doing it uh, with large organizations and I wanted to do it uh, maybe uh, more one-on-one -on -one and touch more people with it. So that's kind of the reason for writing the book. And that's the reason for jumping into continuous improvement for life is wanting to touch uh, individuals and a lot more of them. Yeah, that's great. It's um, I've done the airplane time and the traveling yeah. all over the globe myself and you know, there's a there's a lot of time spent there that you aren't really uh, all the way on purpose because you're just using the time to get from one place to another. So I really agree with you that it's nice to not be traveling as much at this stage. Yeah, and my outcome and uh, that goes along with the why on that, Dan, is really you know to try to help people use the processes and tools of continuous improvement to accomplish their personal and work goals. And when I'm saying personal goals, everything from physical, spiritual, mental, uh, work, um, relationships, financial, 
Um, so that's kind of the spirit that I'm trying to do is teach the tools, the mindset and the skill set to help them accomplish their goals. That's great. What do you think are the, you know, top few three to five things that are most misunderstood by people in this continuous mindset, um, pursuit? Um, where do you think we all get tripped up? Well, I will tell you, I'll answer that two ways. One, I'll answer it for companies and, and two, then personal CI. For companies, if I had to get one root cause or maybe two, um, in your change initiatives for continuous improvement, what is the clear outcome that you're trying to achieve? What is the results outcome? Tie your engagement initiative, your continuous improvement initiative to clear performance outcomes. Uh, many people think that it takes five years to get bottom line results out of your continuous improvement program. Program That's just not true if you attach it to clear results outcomes. The second, uh, and still on the corporate side, I would say is the engagement. Um, you're going to ask me for a cauliflower moment here at the end, and I'll, uh, I know you're going to explain what that is, but <laughs> it, it ties into this idea and my uh, really naivete uh, coming out of MBA program on the importance of engagement. So I'll save that story till the end. And then Dan, on the personal continuous improvement side, my passion is, you know, you see the statistics out there. Uh, in fact, I just looked at one uh, statistic that 18% of people accomplish their new year's resolutions. We're about to enter 2021 and uh, only 18% of those goals are achieved and that's just a crying shame. And so my passion is to how do I teach correct principles in order to really drive continuous improvement in people's lives. And that's why I wrote the book. And, and uh, I'll go into some of the different elements in there. But it includes not just the goal setting system itself, Dan, but also the inputs before that. What are your purpose and values? Because if you clearly articulate that, then accomplishing your goals doesn't seem like such hard work. And then, of course, the outputs as well. And that meaning, what are you? What's your weekly planning, daily planning? How do you respond to setbacks? So I see um, goal setting and goal accomplishment more appropriately as a process or system. And I know you're a system and process guy. And uh, starting with the inputs, making sure you have a really good goal setting system. And I can elaborate on that. And then making sure you've got a way to then act on and deliver weekly, daily, and stay focused on the number one priorities in your life as articulated in purpose, values, and your goals that you set. So that's that's kind of my passion and, and another reason why I'm doing this. That's great. You said a couple of things in there that really triggered and align with things that I've been focused on, but I actually articulate them a little, little different way. So I just want to explore that a little bit because okay. when you talk about the you know the the clear outcomes you want um i think in the in in our first meeting we had talked a little bit about this but i had um, in business settings i've always worked on you know the problem statement definition so yeah. very similar uh kind of statement to your really making sure you have clear outcomes identified and I always, you know, Andy Grove had a great quote on it, but his quote was, the better your, your definition of the problem, you know, then you're not trying to fix things right before they're finished. And 
it's 10 times more expensive to fix things late in the game versus early in the game with a great definition. And I really, you know, resonate with your clear outcomes uh, statement, kind of aligning with that thought process. Yeah, Dan, just to comment on there before you go on to your next point, you know, the whole domaic process for, for Lean Six Sigma starts with the D is for define and uh, define the problem, define the outcome. And if you can do that with clarity and specificity, both on a corporate level or on a personal level, whatever the listeners are trying to apply this to, that is the absolute critical first step. You know, we often talk about SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, reliable, trackable, or timely. And if you cannot uh, measure uh, your goals, it's very difficult to improve on it. You know, on a manufacturing setting, it must be, you know, it might be something as specific as waste or productivity or uh, production. Uh, Or on a personal level, it's, you know, number of pounds lost, number number of uh, dollars saved. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, but in very specific terms. And if you can do that, uh, that's the, uh, that's the start of a goal success system. Yeah, that's, that's really good. The, the second point I was going to resonate with was you were talking about, uh, you know, the 18% of success on, on new year's goals. And then in that discussion, you drop down to saying, you know, getting it all the way down to, kind of the one thing you're going to get, you know, accomplished today or, you know, yeah. in your next, in your next block. And boy, I, I really learned that one um, in the last startup growth company that I was in where as we really started to scale, I was heading into days with just massive lists of, of action items. And I was finding that I was really failing the company because I was taking two and three days to respond to things, which then had a horrific ripple effect down onto the teams because then they're sitting around waiting for answers. And, you know, my impact was starting to be way, way bigger than I I ever intended it. So I I literally had to reshape my entire way of working. And I I went into, you know, this mode where I was like, okay, every day I'm going to have one thing that for sure I'm going to get done and then I'll have the next thing is on the list, but I'm not leaving until that that thing is really done. And then I also set real clear parameters with everybody that said, look, if you get me an action item by the end of today, by tomorrow morning, you know, at nine o'clock, you will have your answer. Um, and I really tried to, you know, get much clearer on, on how I was responding and interacting. Boy, I, I could talk all day about that point, but just to reinforce couple thoughts there, Dan. One, chapter nine and 10 of my book, uh, it's called Weekly Planning. It's chapter nine as a superpower and daily planning, the most important habit. And inside of that is exactly what you're talking about, the importance of prioritizing rather than being just busy or driven by the reactive. How many times at work are we just, I mean, you could just stay busy with fighting emails, calls, meetings, without really getting to the most important things. And those are the real winners, the real successful people prioritize. I heard someone, it's not my saying, but I really like it. MVP, most valuable or profitable thing for me to do today. What is the most valuable or profitable thing? And I like what you're saying. In fact, I'm looking at my book right now, my daily plan of the 25 things, and I've got starred the three most valuable 
or profitable, which one of them is this podcast, Dan, and you'll probably be happy to know that. <laughs> but isn't, isn't that a great idea? Most valuable and profitable. That builds on your point of prioritization. Yeah, that is good. You know, it's funny. The As soon as you said MVP, I triggered on an MVP that in the the tech world was minimum viable product. Right. And it's, you know, it's that mantra of saying, look, it doesn't have to be perfect. Get, get the MVP out and then let people start using it. And then you can enhance and, you know, make it more robust. But I actually like this MVP, you know, <laughs> version uh, really a lot too, because I actually, I guess I was thinking it about that way, but I hadn't tied it that uh, with that much specificity to really focusing on the, the, you know, the most profitable or, or, you know, the, the best use, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can give you an example from my consulting career. The most successful consultants knew that the most valuable and profitable time is to spend with your clients. It's a, it's shocking how busy you can be in a service industry, just taking care of emails follow-up phone calls, sitting in meetings without really engaging and listening and solving the actual client's problem. And I know that applies to retail and many other sectors. So the whole, I think we're really stuck in this busyness trap and we forget what's most important to deliver to our business or to our life. Yeah, boy. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a fantastic uh call out because I know we're all struggling with just the inundation of everything shows up and it it feels like everything's urgent and important (laughs) and getting that prioritization and, and having some discipline around it is it, it takes real work. Yeah. So when you, you know, I, I look at things from, you know, as you said, that analytical perspective and thinking through, signals you know what what got you on either you know your path initially into the consulting space or your path now but was there a certain signal was there a certain thing that came through that you stopped and said ah okay i i I see what i i want to go pursue yeah i i wow that is such a fantastic question and it's the name you know a subtitle on your podcast i love it dan so so uh, how do I tie this up in short succinct? Because this is really my life's work in, in a short story. But when I was at MBA school, uh, I, I was struggling to keep up with the workload. And so I went to one of my professors and saying, you know, how do I do this? I can't read every case. I can't. I, I mean, I, I've got a family. I, I just can't physically do all the work. And he taught me a principle there that just stuck with me and that drove my career and my, I think, part of my success And the idea was work smart and work hard. And I was working hard. I couldn't work harder. And so this idea of working smart has so many layers. In fact, you know, it was two weeks later after that kind of aha moment that uh, I got my first C minus on an economics class that just about sent my, just moved my family across the country. And (laughs) and it was my first test back. And I just about had a heart attack wondering if I had been doing the right thing. And then this idea of work smart came into my mind. And I remember reading about uh, in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and many other books about you should have a purpose statement or a mission statement. And so it was under that experience of work smart, work hard, and that that, uh, little failure, if you will, 
that I started to draft, you know, 30 plus years ago, that purpose statement. And uh, in effect, a short story is that's how I find my job. A real quick story on that, Dan, that may be interesting. I, um, uh, this, after I'd written my purpose statement, so I'm fast forwarding a year and a half, and now we're recruiting, or maybe just over a year. Now we're trying to look for jobs, and nothing looks interesting, nothing looks kind of what I've articulated in my purpose statement. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> consulting company showed up. Uh, called RLG International, and it was beyond consulting, and it was action orientation. It was taking your clients' problems from just the report to actually making it work and implementation. And I thought somebody had read my purpose statement. And uh, so I, I, I put my name on that list. The list came back. There was 10 people on it. I wasn't on the list. So I phoned up the recruiter, who actually was one of the partners at the time. It was a small consulting company at the time. And I said, they say, I said, Hey, I, I think you made a mistake. I'm not on the list. And they said, Oh, really? Well, uh, well, your experience, you're, you're a little younger and blah, blah, blah. Oh, what the heck? Go ahead. Put your name on it. You can be the 11th interview at the end of the day. Anyhow, bottom line, I was the only one that got the job, but it was all driven from that signal signal moment of how do I work smart? What does work smart really mean? Well, part of that is articulating my purpose and values so that when I see something, I know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And as you could tell by the story, when I identified the yes and then saw it, there was nothing that could stop me. So that's really what the book is about. The, the first four chapters are about why purpose is important. Uh, it, it, in chapter three, I list the 10 benefits, including health benefits, mental benefits, of developing and articulating your purpose. And then chapter four of the book, I actually articulate uh, the process I used, but I've refined it over the last 30 years. I call it the triple seven process. And I think that's what makes this book unique, Dan, is that I, I spend a lot of time talking about how. My whole consulting career was implementation and how, not just what. Most consultants come in and tell you what. Uh, we worked and made our, uh, grew our company on how working with the people to develop the house. So in uh, chapter four of the book, I go in detail about the triple seven stands for the seven days, seven hours, and seven questions it takes to develop your purpose. So anyhow, that's a long answer, but that was the signal moment that got me on work smart and got me on purpose. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things <laughs> in that statement. The, uh, I love your, um, distinction there on the consulting side with the, the what and the how, because certainly in my career, I uh, had interactions with consultants and actually had a lot of frustration with the pointing out of the what, right. but not really getting us to the, to really, you know, how to go implement and win. Um, and so I, I feel this really interesting tied to what you're saying there around the what and the, the, the how and the what. Yeah, and a lot of it was uh, coaching, and that's what I do now to individuals. That's what I did then uh, to large groups and teams. But, you know, it's one thing to train people on the ideas or to have them read the report or even have a fancy presentation. And it's another thing to put on the coveralls or roll up your sleeves and uh, coach the leaders, team leaders, middle management on the how to deliver engagement and focus so that you can get bottom line results. And the same principles applies personally, you know, even the great golfers, the great 
athletes have coaches. So what is it they're learning on how to be the best in the world or to accomplish their personal goals? So uh, I'm big on coaching. I have been for a long time and now I get to try to help uh, individuals accomplish their goals rather than big companies. Yeah. You know, in our um, pre-discussion, I actually wrote down (coughs) two things that you said um, that I've actually kind of already incorporated into my thought process. And uh, the, the, the two statements you said, what, what value do I bring to you and what value do I bring to your life? And I really, um, it's a great, great kind of gut check for yourself to, to really make sure that you're bringing value. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I like those. The, um, so when we think about, um, how to utilize this on a day-to-day basis. And it sounds like in your book, you have some tool sets to help people with their kind of daily planning out through their annual planning. Maybe share a little bit more about, you know, how do you really use um, the thought processes and the the thinking that you're defining? Yeah, good distinction, because I am trying to help mine, because I think to to truly – embrace and 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 get the kind of results you want as an individual and or company in your job it's a mindset skill set and tool set so i try to address all three things in the book through the stories and exercises at the end of each chapter it's actually a workbook and i ask you two or three questions on how to apply and so i've had a lot of people say well they read it once quickly and then go back to you know do the workbook section but maybe i'll jump in the middle and and go a little deeper into what I call a weekly planning is the superpower. And what I'm talking about there, Dan, is the whole idea, and this is where I think goals break down and why, where you get the 18% idea or stat that I see very often. And another one was 9%, by the way. And this whole idea, okay, I've got my big goals or I've got my purpose. How do I actually execute? I get so busy. I get so wrapped up. You know, the old story of the individual that sets some goals, writes it down on a piece of paper, puts it in the top drawer of the desk. It's August. They're ruffling through some old papers. They pull up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I set some kind of dusted off. And oh, yeah, I was going to do this. You know, so um, we're trying to fight busyness. We're trying to fight reactivity. So this idea of weekly planning is the real connector. That if I was to hope for one thing for people, it's this idea of start every Sunday night or Saturday or Monday morning. Whenever you choose, I do believe it's important to find the same time to train your brain. This is what we're doing, and you'll become more and more efficient. So let's say it's Sunday night, and you identify um, you've got all your goals in front of you, and then you identify, well, which, what actions am I going to take in all those roles and goals? So let's say I've got a relationship with my daughter that I'm working on. Okay, what am I going to do this week uh, physically, spiritually, mentally? all the categories, all the areas, what what am I going to execute? What small step to not overwhelm myself? I'm already busy. What small step can I take? And then in your computer, in your phone, I still use hard copy and a a book put down in each one of your goal areas. Let's say you've got five key areas, put down the key activities that are priority that gets, get back to our idea we were talking about earlier that are priority that, that aren't necessarily urgent. I don't put all my meetings in there necessarily. If there's, you know, if there's a standing weekly meeting, um, but I put all the important non-urgent things that 
that are a priority that might get sucked up in the too busyness of life. So you have that on your weekly plan on Sunday night, you have three or four things under your five key goal areas, if that's what you have. So you've got these 20 priority things and hopefully some of them are exercise, you know, some of them are work related, some of them are relationship connection, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's how you execute your week. And then of course, with your daily planning, then you're looking at that every morning or every night, whenever your planning rituals are, and you're looking at your weekly plan and not just the urgent things of the day that have already come up, but you look at your weekly plan and say, what can happen in Tuesday? What's realistic? And then you feed it in Tuesday and then you review it the next morning to see how you did and you replan. And it's a system, it's a process. And I think that's why people are, are not accomplishing their goals and dreams. They don't have them articulated in a smart fashion. And then they don't have an execution system, a way to, just like a good company has a, a, you know, a Monday morning stand-up engagement accountability meeting with their staff. This is your own personal Monday morning engagement accountability meeting where you're trying to identify the priorities for the week and then you're going to execute it with your daily planning. Is that, does that make sense? Does that sound good? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, and, you know, it's definitely uh, a pursuit that I've worked hard on, you know, myself. And um, it, it surprises me just how many, you know, tangential things try to yes. muscle their way in. Oh, and it's, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it is overwhelming. And, and it's probably the biggest thing that um, I battle myself and uh, you, you have references and all that in your on your website for books to read and things yeah. to do and one of the areas probably that I've struggled the most personally is getting a meditation practice to be really healthy yeah. um, and I find that trying to you know slow my mind down trying to always make that time um, I would say of, of all of it that's probably been the one I've stumbled the most on is being being really disciplined on on getting a meditation practice to really be as impactful as I know as it can be. Yeah. And, and why, why do we need a meditation practice? And, and uh, my, as you noted, and we've talked about section five of the book is all about, okay, I've got my purpose. I've got my goals. I got my weekly and daily planning. And now what happens when I get a setback or what happens when somebody needed that three hours and I had something else planned or what happens when tragedy strikes or what happens when, and how do we react and I think this is, uh, and this is the area that I've been not working on for 30 years, working on for 10 years. And this whole idea of how do I respond with mindfulness? How am I going? So I'm not so spun up that I don't react emotionally. I react with my value set. And that's this whole idea of why we need tools like meditation, because it's just a tool. But the, the why is we're trying to get quiet and still so that we can you know, connect and really respond to the everyday setbacks or, or trials or challenges in a way that meets our value sets. So I think the whole idea, and I've got another chapter on gratitude in there, mindfulness, and the idea of acceptance, that yeah, I set a goal and I'm gonna stretch, I'm gonna shoot for the stars, the moon, the whole thing, <laughs> and then what happens when I don't hit the stars and the moon? And, uh, well, we accept, we move on, we don't play victim, we don't, you know, woe is me, and we, we develop new strategies, and we're grateful for what we did move. You know, how many times have we seen people 
you can think of a work example or home example where you only accomplish 50% of your goal. And yet, you know, we're dragging our head around. Well, it's 50% better than you did the previous month. Right. <laughs> financial, right. physical, work, whatever it was. And we should be celebrating. Yeah. And that's the way to motivate yourself and to motivate people, not punitive because they only got 66% of the goal or improvement over baseline and they didn't hit it, the target. So, I mean, if I had one wish for corporate world and then both for per people as well, and, and that is to honor gain, honor movement, honor uh, the progress versus just the target. That's actually a motivational tool that very people, people use. They don't, you don't get recognition unless you hit your target, but you could have been two thirds higher than the previous month or better. So anyhow, that's, sorry, I get on my soapbox there, but th that's uh, so critical in accomplishment uh, of your goals. No, that's a, that's another great one. You know, honoring your progress is, I, I think, again, it's, it's something we all default to is it's easy to beat on yourself if you don't feel like you, you got it all done. But like you said, if you've gotten 60% of it done, that's huge and, huge. and be proud of it. And, and, relish in the fact that you're you're making progress yeah yeah that's right really neat well the uh, the time is flying by but the the last two things i like to close with with people is one i like to ask you a question of just if you were to you know hope people to take away one thing you know from this 30 minutes that they're listening to this and and getting introduced to your concepts and your ideas what is that one thing so I'll try to break it into the simplification and, and one thing as you suggested, and we're ending you know, 2020 and it's been challenging on so many levels. And we're so excited and we've got hope and optimism for 2021. So, but to make 2021 great and to move off of eight, accomplishing 18% of what you hope to accomplish in 2021, it starts with a year end review. And what I mean by that, and that sets up the whole goal setting and planning system for 2021, is just put on a piece of paper your areas in which you're striving for excellence in your life. It might be work, relationships, financial, spiritual, mental, financial, I said that already, uh, physical, whatever it might be. And then ask three simple questions in this yearly year-end review. By the way, I have some information on my website on this if people want to structure on it, but I'll mention it here for a takeaway and ask three questions. What, what went well? Highlight successes. Be grateful. Soak in that for a couple of weeks before you jump into big goals for January. Number two, what didn't go well? What were the setbacks? And then number three, what did we learn either from the good things or the bad things? that we can apply or we need to drive to action for next year. So I think if we do that year-end review exercise, if all the listeners took that away as a call to action, you'd be setting up 2021 for a great year and a, a very successful year. Yeah, that's, that's powerful to do that. It's one that you bring back so many memories for me of different scenarios, but one that I really resonate with is, in the last um, corporate growth situation, we were growing at, you know, 30, 40, 50% year over year clips. And 
um, somehow we were setting, you know, 60% or 80% growth targets year over year, and we were only growing 45 or 50. And I'll never forget it. The CEO and I would go out to the parking lot and at the, you know, at the annual board meeting in January, and we would look at each other and go, why do we feel so bad? We just grew this company, you know, 50% year over year, yet we feel horrible. And, and exhausted. Yeah, and exhausted. And it really was such an eye-opening thing where you're like, wait a minute, we have to be proud and happy with yeah. what we've accomplished. And, you know, you can look at that in, in, every, in every area, but doing that year in review is really powerful to help you kind of encapsulate it. Yeah, and it really helps you be more grateful, more happy. And then it really, you know, that's a better mood to then identify and set some new dreams and goals for the next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. So my last question is the cauliflower moment. Uh, and I really like to have fun with this one. It's it's such an eye-opener for all of us to look at things that we believed strongly about something and then we stopped to question it and kind of found out something different and changed a belief. So it can be personal, professional, or anything, but what resonates with you when we talk about a cauliflower moment? Uh, you know, all of them were embarrassing, So, but I'll <laughs> give you the one that was least embarrassing. So, and this is such so typical of MBAs. Um, I came out, as I mentioned, I graduated, and then I went right into consulting, and, and I went my first site to drive productivity improvement, performance improvement, continuous improvement was a plywood plant. And um, on the first week, I just, I was just shocked on, um, you know, they had these big targets and goals and they weren't hitting them. And I was just, you know, I just looked at the leader and I wondered why, you know, this is so simple. This is just get them to do it. <laughs> Come on. This is leadership. And um, boy, was I naive. And um, I, I ate up all the stereotypical things about a typical MBA, young MBA, thinking they know it all. But, um, you know, I really came to appreciate that leader and that leadership team. And, uh, and this is a very interesting learning point as well. And once I appreciated and respected them, I was a lot more effective with them as a coach, as a performance coach. But, you know, that first week or two, I was looking at them sideways, like, come on, guys, this is this is so simple. What, you know, and, and, and of course, we know now after 30 plus years that, you know, engaging hearts and minds, you might have the right strategy at work, at home. But unless you can engage, powerfully engage the hearts and minds of your family, of your spouse, of your teammates at work, you're, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. You might be yeah. the smartest, you know, <laughs> culture, eat strategy for lunch. You know, the uh, way to implement, the way to get things done is to capture hearts and minds. And it starts with respecting and honoring those that you're working with. But boy, was I wrong? And, uh, it kind of would, you know, Dan, it turned out to be kind of my calling card is, is this is the right way to do it now. Uh, and I learned uh, obviously from that first few weeks of doing it wrong. So well, love that for a typical MBA cauliflower moment. Yeah, no, I love it. You know, <laughs> I'll actually share one of my really embarrassing, you know, post graduating, uh, my undergrad was electronic engineering, but 
Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget it. I graduated and I, I went to my parents and I, I said the following words, which I'm actually stunned I ever even uttered these, this statement. I said, I am so glad I'm done learning. <laughs> Just ready to go make money. And I remember I was just so exhausted. The, the yeah, undergrad studying study. and exams. Yeah. yeah, they were just had worn me out. And, and you know, here I am, fast forward, you know, 35 plus years later, and I'm looking at it going, man, my learning was was just beginning. And I'm learning more now than I've ever, you know, learned. And I look back on that and just think, how did I ever say such a thing? You know, and, and, and yet, and that's similar to my, you know, it turns around to be a strength because the very, you're doing this podcast because you're a lifelong learner and yeah. uh, you're trying yeah. to help people learn. And that is a key. I mean, you talk about retirement. Well, you don't retire. You just continue to learn. It might be different. I had my 85, I'm getting excited here. we got to cut it off here, Dan, but I had my 85 year old father come to me the other day and says, man, I got to redefine my purpose. At 85, I don't have the work opportunities. I don't have some of my calling service opportunities at my local church. I got to redefine my purpose. Wow. I got to keep learning and understanding how I can be the most value in society and, and get the fulfillment I need as an 85-year-old. So I think, oh, okay. Well, that, there's your that, example. That is fantastic. <laughs> we well, never listen, stop learning. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. How can people connect with you? Um, or reach out to you and, and uh, learn more about your, your work. Yeah, well, I, again, I really appreciate being on your podcast, excited for what you're doing here. And if folks want to learn more, they can pick up the book or get it on Amazon, Live Your Purpose, Step-by-Step Guide on How to Live Your Best Life, Rick Hyland, H-E-Y-L-A-N-D. Or they can go to my website. I've got blogs, podcasts. Um, the book is there. And like I say, this year-end template that I'm offering for free to folks. And that's www.ci4life, the number four, life.org, ci4life.org. Well, that's great. I'm actually going to uh, download that year-end planner myself. And I uh, read and listened to a few of your podcasts, but I'm looking forward to reading the book as well. Hey, Dan, great to meet you. Thanks for the opportunity. Good meeting you too. Thank you. Yeah, take care. 